missionings going on this morning. Um, and so if you are a heart and soul, I've gone through heart and soul in the last round of heart and souls. Could you, um, and so this past heart and soul peeps, yeah. We have one that wasn't here in the first service. Oh, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, no, this is, uh, these people have come through four weeks of heart and soul, um, have signed a covenant w- with our church to, uh, to give their lives, to see uh, the kingdom come here and to the nations. They have, um, they have met with an elder. They have gone through all four weeks of heart and soul, and they are expressing interest today in joining our church. And we love, um, we love the word commissioning because there is some, um, some reverence there, but there's some also a very meaningful phrase to commission someone into service, commission someone on a mission. And so um, they're literally coming here today uh, to be on mission with us, to co-mission together as a church. And so um, if you would just uh, commit to them, if, you, uh, if you're heart and soul here today and you are here today and you will um, commit to holding them accountable, to being committed to their growth, to be committed to their accountability, would you just um, respond by saying we will? And let me just pray for them as as a sign of faith. Just reach out your hand as we commission them. Father God, we love them. We thank you for what you've done for us. God, I pray for these uh, group of people standing here as they are being commissioned into this church, Lord, that you would just be with them, guide them, lead them. God, that we would just be on mission together, that our hearts would just be bound together around the gospel and the gospel alone as our motivation. Father, I pray um, that you would give us um, a heart for them, Father, to see them growing together, caring for one another, and on mission together. Lord, we love you. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Give these guys a hand. And I need, I I forgot something, excuse me. The next um, thing we're going to do, we want to get the Phillips to come forward, please. Trevor and Brittany, Matthew and Elsie, Emery. Hey, can you come on? You want to sing a song? Your dad sings. You would. All right, for some of you guys, um, you know uh, these guys' story. Um, For others of you that don't know these guys' story, uh, Matthew, which is this little guy right here, um, was adopted by the Phillips last week. And I just, I just wanted to remind us that Luke 15 talks about how uh, it reminds us that God sees um, every, he seeks us as individuals, right? He seeks our hearts. He seeks after us, comes after us. I'm reminded of, of verses like James 1 that says that pure and defiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And those of you that have been here any amount of time, you know that we have a partnership with Families for Families and our heart is to see um, children brought into foster care into our church because we believe that the best situation for a foster family is a church because we want to care for them, love them, and, and see them um, healthy. And so uh, while we haven't done that perfectly, we've, we've fallen forward and grown in that, I believe. And so I feel, I feel like this is a great example of what God wants to do in our lives through the gospel. And so um, I just want to, to, to keep me from stumbling through Matthew's story, I want to read um, the kind of his story that we got um, from Lake and, and Jamin from their previous um, home. And I want to give uh, this to you guys. He said he was discharged from the hospital on November the 8th um, to the Herons. The Lord stirred in Trevor's heart um, when the Famous for Families came the following year to talk about foster care. And he called Brittany in the airport on his way out of the country for work and told her that he thought the Lord wanted them to move forward in the process. Trevor didn't know what to do. I'm going to just give it. I'm going to give him the whole story, Trevor. <laughs> Trevor didn't want to foster and told Brittany not for a while. Around that time, they were looking for an adoptive replacement for Matthew and Britt. Brittany made several comments to me about how much they loved Matthew and how if reunification was not possible, they would be totally, they would be up for adoption. I thought she was kidding, and when she, when, when the need of adoptive resource conversation happened with DFACS, and I said, are you serious about bringing Matthew to your forever home? Their home was certified in record time, and he was placed in their home September the 1st, 2022, and adoption happened September the 13th, 2023. And so how cool of a story is that, that Matthew's story will forever have the gospel thread into his story. Um, And I love that um, his name is different than it was before as well, because it kind of reflects how Jesus changes our names when we come to faith in him. Before we saw Matthew Ryder Gibson now, I want to introduce to you Alexander Matthew Phillips. And so... I, I just want to commission these these guys. We have, um, we, 
We try to use our language well. We actually have a baby dedication today at, after church um, for, for some people, but we want to commission these parents today. We want to commission Trevor and Brittany as they raise Matthew and their two girls to honor the Lord. Is that, is that okay with you guys? Um, if you guys feel led, would you come forward and maybe lay hands on them as we pray for them? Um, if you don't want to do that, just reach out a hand as we commission these guys together. God, we're so thankful for just the gospel. We're thankful for the picture of the gospel um, that we've witnessed in Matthew's life. We thank you for the picture of the gospel and his adoption process and the fostering process, God, from the beginning to the end, Father. I pray right now in Jesus' name, God, that you would just wash over this family, God, with just an awareness of your presence as they begin to bring another child into their home as their own father, as a Phillips, God, that you would um, give them the charge of raising Matthew in a way that honors you and that points him to the gospel, Father, and, and not just Matthew, but Emory and Elsie as well, Father. They would just be a family that is that is just committed to seeing the gospel being central to their lives. I pray for our church, God, that we would be adamant about coming around families like the Phillips to see the gospel play out in their lives through us. Father, I pray that we would be a family of saints, family of Christians that are gathered around families such as this and around one another to see your name made famous, Father, both foreign but also in our own homes. God, we commission them today, Father, under your name, under your lordship, under your headship, Father. We just ask that you would be with them in a very um, real way, Father. We love them. We just, we just give them to you. God, work in this family. Work in our homes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go give them a hand. And before you guys sit down, before you guys sit down, we have a little gift for you guys that we want just to commemorate the day of adoption. How about that? So this is you guys. Love you guys so much. Hey, you can open it. <laughs> All right, man, I love moments like that, man. We want to do this more and more often, right, to see um, people go from death to life in Christ, but also go from being lost to being found, right? Isn't that cool? to see that. And so this morning, um, if you don't know me, my name is Michael. Uh, I'm the lead pastor at Connection Church in Rinkin. Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 1. We'll be starting in verse 18 today and going through verse 32. And if if it's your first Sunday here, um, I love you so much. That's the preface that I want to give you. Okay, that's the preface I want to give you, that I love you so much, and that uh, today is going to be a tough passage. And so if you came for the first time, what a great Sunday to be here, right? And so we're in week two of a series that is going through the book of Romans, verse by verse. Um, if you're in a connect group, you've received, uh, you should be studying through Romans through using the study guide to kind of give us a, uh, just some help in studying and kind of going through scripture together. And what, what you've done, hopefully for the last, at least the last three days, is you've read through this passage so far for about three or four times by now, right? Okay, cool. And so everybody's not depressed, you're here, we're good. Okay, and so we've printed out these study guides so that, um, and our goal in this, and I've heard mixed emotions about our study guide because some people are like, this is overwhelming, this is a lot, this is not enough, this is good, this is a struggle, but I just want to give you the, uh, just kind of the, the purpose behind this was not to intimidate you with Scripture, but to assist you in the study of Scripture, right? And so as you have these and you're going through these, um, and, and kind of the thing that I've noticed is that the church kind of over, overarchingly across our nation, um, I, I feel like the church has kind of gotten away from the study of Scripture and kind of gone towards more of a, a topical type uh, epidemic almost. I want to I study the Bible about mercy or grace. I want to study the Bible about, about marriage, which that's not bad. But what it's done is it's taken away from our view of Scripture, being able to dissect Scripture and study it for the what it is, right? Um, there's something called hermeneutics. For those of you that don't know what that is, it's just a fancy word for, literally the word means the art of biblical interpretation. And why they don't just say that, I don't know, because hermeneutics makes me feel smarter when I say it to you guys, right? But it's an art, studying scripture is an art form because how you read and interpret scripture must be learned. You can't just, when you get saved, it's not like, oh, I know all the things about scripture. No, you have to be taught. That's what the Bible says to make disciples of all nations, right? Right? Teach them, bad, teach them everything that I've commanded you. So you see this aspect of being taught how to read the, the Bible and, and to how to s- interpret the Scripture and the context and all of those things. Um, we see in 2 Timothy, Paul telling Timothy, he said, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, 
a worker who does not need to be ashamed and, and who correctly handles the word of truth. And so the fact that Paul says one who can correctly handle the word of truth means that there is an opportunity to handle the word of truth incorrectly, right? Can we agree on this? All right, cool. Our goal as a church is to come alongside of you and to help you create healthy rhythms in life that will promote healthy spiritual dis disciplines that will lead to spiritual growth. That's our goal. That's my greatest desire for you. And so bring this book with you. If you have one, if you're in a connector, bring this every week, your Bible every week. It gives you a place to journal and take notes during sermons. Today we'll be, we'll be in the section that starts in, in, uh, in, in page 15. And so if you wanna turn there, you can and take some notes. Um, but this is what I promise. I promise that if you'll engage with this, with your group, by the end of this series through Romans, you'll be a different person. You'll be a different person. Your spiritual life will be on a new level. And so my challenge to you is let's, let's come together. Let's be committed together as a church to be here, to be here for the sermons, to be here engaged in your groups, to be going through this together with your groups, and to be in prayer, not just for you and your group, for the leadership of this church as it leads the church, but also for one another as you allow the Romans, the book of Romans, to read you and, and challenge you to uh, live a more or committed to life to Christ. Because if everyone does this, I believe we'll see a movement, right, that starts here that will extend out into your communities, that will extend out into the nations. Because I believe cities and nations are changed when God's people are pursuing and following him, right? The reason why churches die, the reason why churches are stagnant is because the people that make up the church aren't following or pursuing Christ. Let's just be real, right? And so we don't exist here at this time. You aren't here for, you're, the reason you're here is not meaningless. God has a plan for this church. He has a plan for you. And I wanna see it come to fruition. And I wanna see that happen in your life individually. Um, so kind of giving you a, a review. Last week, Paul, um, he gave us an intro to the book of Romans. We see kind of the thesis statement kind of being laid out. Uh, Paul said the gospel is the power of God for salvation because in the gospel, we see the righteousness of God is revealed. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. So today, Paul's going to start a two-section, two-chapter section on why we need the gospel. Because before we can understand and appreciate the good news, we must first understand the bad news. Right? Everybody excited about this? I can tell your faces are so excited about this this morning. And I want to give you a little preface. Um, if you have children in this room um, who are not in, uh, you know, Connection Kids, I just want to let you know this morning is going to be a little rough. So we're going to talk about some things that maybe you don't want your kids to hear. But if you don't mind, that's fine too. Leave them here because it's the Bible and maybe it'll strike up some conversations. Who knows? But I want to give you that, that good. If not, it's not on me. I warned you. So let's pray. God, we love you. I thank you for this day. I thank you for what you're doing in our church. I thank you for loving us like you do. I thank you for bringing us into a place of just... Uh, place where we're watching you move in so many people's lives. Father, I pray that you would just uh, bring us into submission and under authority of your word this morning in a way that is very real, a way that is very um, honest, God, and that we would just come at this, this tough passage with humility. God, we would understand your word, and your word alone is, is authority. God, it brings authority. We, we stand under its authority, and we submit to its authority. Father, I pray for the person here this morning that is seeking, that may have doubts, that may not know you. God, that you would reveal yourself to them in a mighty way this morning. They would know you, Father. They would come to a submissive understanding of who you are and what the gospel requires of them, and that's submission to it. God, we love you. I pray for the person that's online watching, wherever they may be, God, that we would bring this um, this scripture and hold it high and we would honor it and we would submit our lives to it. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, kind of get us started here. Um, you know, has anybody ever been to the doctor before and just had a help scare? You've just been like, mm, what's going on? Like, this is bad. I, this, is, this is it. I'm coming to see you, Jesus. You ever been to that moment where you just had this health scare and, you know, and there's this moment. Well, the last thing that you want in those moments where you're sitting there with a the doctor and he gives you some really bad news, it's like, you know, I don't, I, the last thing you want the doctor to say back to you is, I don't know what's wrong. I just know your, your time's limited. The last thing you want is for the doctor to be like clueless about what's wrong with you, right? We're going to need some interaction from the 11. The 11 o'clock is always snoozers, okay? We need you to wake up a little bit. Y'all had extra hours of sleep, okay? Y'all had an extra hour of sleep. The 9 o'clock was fired up this morning. So, um, so anyway, it, so the, you, the last thing you want is the doctor to say, 
well, it might be this, or it could be this. So we're going to try a bunch of different things until we figure out, right? That's the last thing. You're like, don't touch me until you know what's wrong with me, right? That's what you're going to say. Or that's what you're going to feel, right? I, I don't want you to touch my body or give me a shot of anything or give me an examination until you know what's wrong with me, right? And so this morning, what you're going to see, um, you know, no matter when it, when it comes to your health, you want to have a clear diagnosis of what's wrong with you. You want a clear diagnosis. You want to know exactly what's wrong in writing, right? Because if you don't have that, you're not going to know your next steps and what they need to be. So if you have a clear diagnosis, you know how to what the next thing is that you need to do, what, what, what procedure you may need, what drug you may need to take, what process you need to take, right? Are you, are you tracking with this? And so what you're seeing today, this is exactly where Paul is going to take us. You're going to see Paul doing this. He's giving us a clear diagnosis of what's wrong, right? How many people know that you've lived life long enough to know that there might be something spiritually wrong with you? You ain't got it all together. 10 out of 10 people in this room, ain't, you, ain't, you ain't got it together, right? There's one rule in this church. There's no perfect people allowed, okay? Because there's no perfect people, right? Our goal is that we would see this morning, you're, you're not going to hear many sermons on this section of Romans. You're not going to hear many sermons preached because this is not the type of sermon that's going to attract the masses or tell people what they want to hear or, or whatever. Remember, Because remember this, the gospel at its core is offensive, the gospel at its core is offensive because it tells you and it tells me that we are sinful and there's nothing else we can do to change that. So this morning, what we're going to see, Paul is going to highlight the nature of sin and its consequences because we have to learn this and understand this and grasp this before we can truly understand the gospel. Does that make sense? And as we get into this section today, I, I want to tell you, I, I've been praying that you would see this. I've been praying all week for you, all month for you, that God, that, that Paul would begin to, he would, him starting off so hard and so clear that it's actually a gift. It's a gift that he is being this hard and clear with the message of the gospel, the bad news about the gospel, so that he can get to the good news about the gospel. Because the reason why it's a gift is because, our, because until we understand our need, all capital need for the gospel, we will never cry out for God in repentance. Or we will never have a right view of the depths of Scripture. We will never have a right view of the depths of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So we have to understand our need first. Look what Paul said last week. He started off by saying, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul understood the gospel. He knew where he came from. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, God's righteousness, the righteousness of God, is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And I'm not sure if you're like me. I'm assuming that you are because you're a human, right? But if you're like me, after reading those verses, those feel good. Like the gospel is the power of salvation. I'm saved. Let's do this thing. Let's go to the nations. Let's, let's love our wives and do all these cool things for the church. But no, after reading these verses, I expected Paul to tell me how to get this righteousness of God. All right, tell me how to get it, right? But that's not what he does. You, when you look at verse 18, it's like, wait, 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 what? Like he, before he gets there, before he gets to verse chapter 3, verse 21, before he shares how we would receive this, this righteousness, he's going to clarify why this righteousness, this gospel, this good news is our greatest need. Okay? If your first time this morning, thank you for being here. It's going to be a rough sermon. You're here for a purpose. This wasn't meant for you. Okay? All right. Listen to this today. Before Paul gets to the good news in chapter 3 of verse 21, he gives us the bad news in, in, a, in chapter 118 to 320. And so Paul is going to start by focusing on the blatant idolatry and the wickedness of the Gentiles because this Roman church was set right in the middle of a Gentile world. So everything that he's about to show them, these Christians were like, I see all of this around me. He's using great examples. But next week, we're going to see him turn towards the religion of the Jews. So we're going to see the contrast of the idolatry of the Gentiles, and we're going to see the religion of the Jews in, this, in, this, in these passages. And so starting with verse 18, Paul is going to begin to build his case for why the gospel is the only answer to humanity's sin problem. And then he's going to say why he's so eager and driven to give it to the nations. 
And so that's where Paul starts in chapter 1, verse 18. He's got to demonstrate that everyone, both religious and irreligious alike, need the gospel. Both the Jew and the Gentile, the person who's focused on religion, the, purpose, the person who's focused on idolatry, need the gospel the same. And so we're going to look at today, we're going to show you three actions. Paul's going to show us three actions that, that have kind of made every person in this room, every person on the face of the planet that has ever lived, that will ever live, has made them guilty before a holy God. So let's look in verse 18 and verse 19 as we get started here. So let's go. For God's wrath is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. I love the cut and dry. There's no gray. This morning, there's not a lot of gray area in this sermon. It's, it's very black and white. There's a line being drawn by Paul. And so one, one of the first things we see, one of the first things that we have done, one of the first things that the Roman, um, the Gentiles in the Roman world had done was they had rejected the truth. They have rejected the truth. That's number one. We see they have suppressed the righteousness of God through their unrighteousness. And so Paul gives two dimensions here of sinfulness, right? This is all sin, but Paul gives two dimensions of, 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 the, of the sinfulness that God's wrath is being directed towards. So literally, godlessness and wickedness. So we see godlessness is a lack of proper reverence for God, a lack of proper reverence for God. Who in here has proper reverence for God at all times? No one. We don't because we struggle in our flesh, Right? It's a corruption between the vertical relationship that we have with God. And so we see wickedness. So godlessness, wickedness. Wickedness is an evil or an unrighteousness. So instead of being loving and, and faithful and humble and truthful, we tend to be self-controlling and self-centered and, and prideful. And so we need to look at these two things, though, these two ideas that speak to the same problem, which is what? Sin. Sin. It's sin. Sin is a rejection of God. Sin is a rejection of God. Uh, one commentator says that sin is a, the de-godding of God. I think D.A. Carson said sin is the de-godding of God. It's like cosmic treason. So you're coming before God and saying, nope, I don't want you. And so something we'll see today is that there's a, a wrath. We see that for God's wrath is being revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness. So we see this wrath, this judgment that is being revealed now because of people's sin as consequences and, and situations that, that we could, we're going to talk about in a moment. And then there's a final judgment at the end, wrath and judgment at the end that will be poured out and revealed in the end. And so we see these two things playing out here. But I want to be very clear this morning as we jump into this is that everyone who does not submit to God is under the wrath of God. That's what we see here. Everyone who does, does not submit to the knowledge of God is under God's wrath. And wrath literally means anger. That's a hard thing to talk about, right? Because they failed to respond to the revelation of God and they've suppressed the truth by his unrighteousness. By unrighteousness, they have suppressed the truth. And so to kind of preface this morning, I just want to make sure that we understand that anytime Paul is going to say they, it can be translated as we. Because apart from Christ, this is all of us, Right? We need to see that this morning. So they, we have suppressed the truth by our unrighteousness. So suppression in this scripture, I want you to know, is not the same as ignorance. This is not the same thing. So I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't know that there was a God. I didn't know. So suppression means the truth is there, but you kind of kept yourself from acknowledging. It's like ignorance is bliss, right? I, I, know, I know it might be. I know, but I, I was reminded. I heard a sermon one time where a pastor used an illustration for this passage of a beach ball, right? So I might want to play with this. It's huge, right? And so I think about this as I have two five-year-olds in my house right now. And anytime I go to my parents' pool, I'm a little sadistic in my parenting. And so what I would do is I would put my kid on top of it, and I would try to push it under the water, and I'd let it go and see what happened. And you know what? They would fly up in the air, and it was great. And guess what they did when they came down? They are like, let's do it again. It's fun, okay? For those of you that are questioning my parenting ability, it's fun, okay? They love it. But this is what we're talking about, trying to suppress the truth of God by our unrighteousness. So we try to suppress it. So think about holding this under the water. What's going to happen? It's going to come up and hit you in the face every time. 
You'll get wet and nasty every time. Try to hold this under the water. You're gonna, your arms will get tired, and eventually it's going to pop up and hit you in the face because you can't suppress the truth very long, right? And so that's the image of what that looks like, what Paul is talking about here. And so let's look at verse 19 and 20 to kind of give you some more insight on what he's saying. He's saying they, they suppress the truth by their unrighteousness since what can be known about God is evident among them. Um, some translations say evident within them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what has been made. As a result, people are without excuse. And so when you look at this scripture, what we see as you look at this word, we see God reveals himself in us, and we see God reveals himself to us, these two areas. And so as I was studying this this week, I was reminded of a scientist in Israel who did a study on DNA. And so if you look at DNA, you can see God revealing himself to us, or in us, excuse me, I'm, there it is. So you see what a DNA strand looks like. You know what this is. If there's any doctors or scientists in this room, I'm gonna butcher this like I did the first service. Just give me some grace and talk to me afterwards, okay? I'm all about correction, okay? So here we go. So DNA is literally the carrier for all of our genetic info. Anybody that had children recently, this is what you passed on to the next generation of your children, right? And so DNA, it contains four acids, adenine, guanine, thymine, and cytosine, Okay? There's four acids. And so the DNA that makes up our genes, they come together in such a way that bring that bridge, a bridge forms after a certain number of acids, as you see this bridge in between this helix, making a row. And these bridges are called base pairs, okay? It's this process that allows the DNA chains to be linked together, creating the twisted ladder-like element. And so this type of sequency determines the information set of our genetics, which we pass on to our children, okay? So the rate of connection of DNA is every 10 acids, every five, every six, every five, every 10, every five, every six, every five, every 10, every five, every six, every five, and just on and on and on and on it goes. And so this scientist who was Hebrew would, would, would understand that that means that between the acids, uh, adenine, guanine, cytosine, and thymine, a bridge was formed every time, 10, 5, 6, 5, 10, 5, 6, 5. And so this connection process takes place constantly in each of our cells in all living things. And so this is interesting whenever he took into account the Hebrew language doesn't use special signs to represent numbers. They use letters. So in our language, one will be A, two will be B, right? So if you take the DNA sequences letter value, this is what you would get. And so you read backwards in their language, right? And so but if you take those sequences, what this means in Hebrew is this, is the word we see in Scripture for Yahweh, which is amazing. And some of you are like, oh, I don't, that, that's not my thing. Numbers aren't my thing. And I don't care if you believe it or not, but do do the work yourself. This is pretty impressive. That God is in the very center of who we are to our DNA. I love that God is revealing himself we can take our microscopes and our science and all this thing, dig down deep into who we are, and there's God. God is revealing himself to us, in us, and so we see God revealing himself to us through creation, right? Creation literally declares to us the reality and the power and the glory of God. Look at Psalms 19, verse 1. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. My heart this morning is that we would understand that he's in everything. He's revealing himself to us and in us. One of the, I love nature. I love, I, love, I love noticing God in all the places around that I go. Have you ever slowed down enough to truly see a mountain range or an ocean or a sunset or the planets or stars? Or, or, or the birth of a child was probably my, my latest amazement whenever, five years ago, whenever the daughter handed me two babies in my arms. I, and my wife said, I'm like, I have no idea what I'm about to do. And I, the, the idea of having babies was cool until I got here. Now I'm not a feed. I'm like, what am I supposed to do with these things, right? Just the reality of they, 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 they were, God gave them to me as a blessing to raise. And I loved the understanding of God weaving his glory into that. Right? God wove his glory into creation. And so we see this throughout the scripture. Life on earth, think about this. Life on earth, it depends on a very specific number of factors that are so precise. If they, they were off by a hair, life on earth would cease to exist. 
This is, this is kind of scary, man. Oh, you think about things have to be just right. If the sun and the earth were 2% further or closer, we would all die. 2%. 2%. That's terrifying to me, right? If it was 2% closer to the sun, all the water would cease to exist because it would be too hot. If it were 2% further, we'd be frozen, right? It'd be, it'd be so incredible how intricately woven God's glory is in all of creation. Think about the tilt of the earth. It's at a perfect 23 and a half tilt. If that tilt wasn't there, we wouldn't have temperatures or tides. Let's keep reading Romans 21, 121. As for, for the thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. And so the second thing we see is resisted worship. They, we, we rejected the truth. And so our word for worship, we've said this many times in this room, our word for worship comes from an old English word, literally meaning worth, worth-ship. It's, a, it's attributing worth to something. It's, it's, a demonstra- it's demonstrating um, attribute of, or value to something. And so every, this is what we said too, every emotional or spiritual problem that you face in your life is attributed to a view of God that is too small. You see God is too small. Like, because, like, you know, we didn't, we didn't want to embrace the truth about a, a glorious God or, or about an all-powerful, holy God. Well, well, why? Because we wanted to be in control. We wanted to be, we wanted to make the rules. We wanted to take God's glory for ourselves. We wanted to use our lives to direct others' attention towards us and not him, right? Like our greatest concern was about ourselves, our lives, our families, our security, our safety. We didn't want to acknowledge that everything we have, our time, treasure, talent, all came from him. There's many of us in this room today that, They believe that everything you have comes from you and your hard work. We can all bring it back to God, him allowing you the ability to live, breathe, and work on the borrowed air that you have, on the borrowed time that you have, on the borrowed energy that you use. Everything that you have can be attributed to God and God alone. I'll tell you this, all sin, all sin, every sin in your life, all sin problems are actually worship problems. All sin problems are worship problems because every sin has its root in the soil of idolatry, right? And I'll tell you this, is that idolatry involves looking to something other than God to give you what only he can give you. Idolatry involves looking to something other than God to give you what only he can give you. When I think about that, that's big. And Paul is digging in deep with these guys. So we've rejected the truth about God. We have resisted worship of God because only he and he alone deserves our worship. And guess what that's caused? It's caused us the third thing, to replace God. We've replaced God. We see this all throughout Scripture. This is one of the main sins of the Israelites, right? Every human being in this room across the world was created to do what? Worship. We're created to worship. Every one of us. The question is not, do you worship? The question is, what or who you worship, right? And you think about this for a minute. This is, this is what rejecting truth and resisting worship involved, turning from what would ultimately satisfy us, which was what? God, and turning towards, turning towards something that could never satisfy us, that can only leave us miserable, and that's created things. The moment I start worshiping a created thing, I'll lose everything that I thought I was going after, right? How many of you guys have gotten to involved in sin of some sort in your life? It could be something drastic. It could be something small. They're all the same. You got to the end, you're like, I'm miserable. I can't, I'm miserable, right? In the beginning, it's great. If it's not great in the beginning, you're not sinning, right? But at the very end, it leads to misery. It leads to hurt, pain, loss, Our heart is that you would see that everything you're looking for to satisfy you is found in Jesus. Every place you look outside of Jesus for that thing will lead to misery. Hear that this morning, man, because what's happened is, the reason why that happens is we exchange the object of our worship into things we control. And who knows that you and I are bad gods? Some of you are like, you're bad. You're not good at it. Okay, we're bad gods. We don't make good rulers and gods. Listen, we've changed the object of our worship into things we control. And the false gods that humanity has worshiped all have one thing in common. I don't care if it's Buddha or your car. 
The things you worship, they exist to serve us. Does that make sense? The things you worship, the things you put before God exist to bring you satisfaction and to serve you. In our worship today, you might not worship a statue or seemingly false gods, but it's not hard to see our main goal is how to get God into orbit around our life. Right? I think about it, and you, you can look at your prayer life. God, this is what I need. This is what I want. God, fix this the way I want it to be fixed. And if you don't fix it the way I want it to be fixed, I'm going to leave the church. Or I'm going to leave my connect group. I'm going to leave this. Is, I'm going to stop following you because you don't answer my prayers. What, what is happening in that moment? It's like a four-year-old giving a tantrum, right? And I'm just being straightforward like Paul is. Listen, the, the worship that we give other things are really gods that we have created to serve ourselves. The most basic truth in Scripture is that we were created for God and for his glory. That's the basic truth from Genesis to Revelation. But we, we wanted him to serve us and be our cosmic errand boy, so to speak. We wanted him to go after things for us and give us this and bless us here and bless us there. So we recreated God into a more manageable God, which makes him not the God of the Bible, which makes him an idol. A lot of American Christianity has been based on an idol that we have created and given him the name Jesus. It's tough. It's tough. Read the Bible. Read the Bible and see what it says yourself. Because we've turned something that was supposed to be holy into something that has been very selfish. And so what Paul has said, and this is apart from Christ now, this is why we need Jesus, left to our own devices. This is what we're going to do every time. So Paul, what we see throughout the rest of this book, the rest of this passage, Paul is going to, we're going to see Paul, or God giving us what we want. Right? We see the words, God delivered them over three times in nine verses. God delivered them over. God delivered them over. God delivered them over. So I want to be very clear on this. What I've seen as I've studied this this week is that God's judgment, both now and in the end, is ultimately him giving us what we really want. Does that make sense? You think about this for a second. Think about, think about it like this. If the earth were to say to the sun, right, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of you being the center of everything all the time. I want to be the center of the universe. Right? Well, the sun is 109 times larger than the earth. That's 1.3 million earths inside the sun. Huge difference, right? And so because of its size, it has a gravitational capacity to keep everything in orbit and not letting anything fly out into the universe. Keep us, it keeps things together. Guess what doesn't have that power? Earth. So the earth says, from now on, I'm the center. Well, the sun might say, okay, but guess what would happen? the whole entire solar system would unravel. Chaos. Not because the sun did something to the earth, but because the sun allowed the earth to get its way. Does this make sense? The point, hear this, the point is this, God doesn't send people to hell. People choose it. He just gives them what they want. Life without him. Life without him. Why would we think to live on earth constantly rejecting, 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 rejecting God would lead us to an eternity with him, right? What we see, he just gives us what we want, like apart from Christ. For the rest of chapter one, what we're gonna see is Paul is showing us the results of rejection of the truth, resisting worship and replacing God. He's gonna show us the effects of that on our life, but he's also gonna show us the effects of this on our culture. Because who can understand and agree that our culture is in chaos right now? Can we agree on that? Like, can we have that one moment of agreement? Our culture is in chaos, but guess what? The previous culture was in chaos too. The one before that was in chaos too. And I bet you pastors were saying the same thing. Guess what? The future one's going to be just as chaotic. I'm telling you right now, this is what we see. For the rest of chapter 1, Paul is going to show us the results of this. So verse 23, he's going to say, They exchanged the glory of God for images. Well, verse 26, he's going to say, so God exchanged them over to disgraceful passions. Well, he some says, verse 21, they dishonored God, so God let them dishonor themselves. Verse 28, they didn't see it worthwhile to acknowledge God, so God gave them over to a corrupt mind. So let's read verse 26 and 27. Let's keep going here. For this reason, God delivered them over to a disgraceful passions. 
Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men, in the same way, also left natural relations with women and were inflamed with their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. That's, that's speaking to judgment. Uh, that's speaking to consequences of actions. And so what I see here, this is the second time Paul says God delivered them over to something. And I told you guys one time before that we're not going to sidestep anything in the book of Romans. This is great. This is week two. So, so this is, let's, just, let's just get to it, right? I want to just say that this is the clearest and the, the longest and the clearest section in Scripture on homosexuality. And let me just preface this by saying historically, the church has done a really bad job on this topic. A really bad job. We've, we've done an even worse job for caring for those who are struggling with this sin. Horrible job. We've rejected and held people at arm's length. We've forgotten that the gospel is just as much for people in that sin as it is for our sin. And this is what Paul was referring to. Now, this is one of the things we can't sidestep here. This is so important that we understand that Paul says that one of, not the, it's one of many, one of the many results of displacing God at the center of our hearts was that we developed unnatural sexual patterns. We exchanged the truth about God for a lie, verse 25. So God exchanged our natural healthy passions for unnatural ones, verse 26. And he's not picking on homosexuality as a worse sin here. Hear that. Think about it. If God made us in his image, male and female, then he shouldn't, we shouldn't be surprised that the effects of our rejection of God and the sin in our life would show up in the primary relationships and identities that we possess. Our, our genders and our identities, who we are, that's where the, that's where the corruption and the, the problems happen, the confusion happens. John Piper says this, he says, Paul brings up homosexuality not because it is a greater sin than any other, but because it is the clearest evidence of a rejection of God's order in creation. Who knows that God had an order in creation? God's, God is not a God of chaos or disorder. Paul identifies all sexual relations of men between men and women between women as a departure from the creator's design. They're, they, they're unnatural, he says, literally in the Greek, against nature. And again, it's important to realize that Paul is not just randomly picking homosexuality here. He's living, or he's writing to people who are living in the midst of this in Rome. They're seeing this all over the place. They're seeing all this thing. And I'm telling you right now, if he wrote to Rinkin, Connection Church Rinkin, the church in Rinkin, he would say many of the same things because of our culture now. He's saying this is one of the clearest examples of elevating our desires over the creator's design. And so, but, but we say, we may say this, like, it's not about what the creator wants. It's about what I want. I've been given these desires. I'm going to act how I want because God's a forgiving God. He gives us grace, right? No, our culture, please hear this with love because I love you. And this has been a hard thing to prepare, but our culture has turned this homosexuality Many other issues like abortion and, and gender confusion, all these different things. It has turned so many spiritual issues into political issues. They've been turned into issues of identity. But I want to say I agree with this because Paul is saying this. Because I hear people say all the time, I was born this way. To which I would say, yeah, you probably were. Because some of us were born with a propensity towards different indulgences, drugs, adultery, fornication, greed, anger. The list goes on and on and on. But the Bible says we need to be born again. We need new birth. We're not called to live in the identity of, of the sinful nature. We're called to be born again through living our life in Christ because I want to tell you, indulging in homosexuality, anger, greed, any of the things we've named so far is not right just because we feel it. Listen, true. this is the truth. We're not called to be true to ourselves. We're not. We are called to die to ourselves. The Bible says to die to yourself and come alive in Christ. Listen, 
Possessing a natural desire just shows us that, that we've have, we have corrupted hearts left to our own devices. We need to be born again. And that is the entire point of, Rome, of Romans. Listen, you, you can't reform your way into heaven either. There's so many of us that have fallen into that trap of religion. We're going to look at this next week and the week after and about the Jews. They're going to well, do the best I can to pick, my, pick myself up on my bootstraps and get to work. I'm going I'm to give more. I'm going to serve more. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to love my wife better. I'm going to do all these things. And then maybe by the end of the time, the, the scales would have tipped. I just want to tell you, your scales will never tip on your own basis. Your scales will never tip. Isaiah 64, 6 says this, all of us have become like one who is unclean. To the Jews, you got kicked out of the city because you needed to be made clean. You're rejected from society. He says, all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins swept us away. Jesus is literally saying, Paul is literally saying, you must be born from above. New birth. Jesus told Nicodemus, no one can come into the kingdom of God unless they're born again. No one will see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. But please hear this. Don't hear this the wrong way this morning. Hear it this way. The gospel is not let the gay become straight. The gospel is let the spiritually dead come alive. Okay? Let me say it another way. Homosexuality doesn't send you to hell. The reason why I know this is because heterosexuality doesn't send you to heaven. Hear that this morning. What sends you to hell is not believing the gospel and not putting your faith in Jesus. It's refusing to allow Jesus to be the Lord and the center of your life. And that might manifest itself in many different ways. That might look like you refusing to let Jesus be the Lord of your sexual life. That might be you refusing to obey him with your money. That might be refusing to obey him and your controlling of your career, of your family, of all the things around you. And I want to say this clear too, is that Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all in your life. And that's what we see that Paul is talking about. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And am I saying you're called to perfection? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you're called to follow Jesus and be obedient to him and fall forward because you're going to sin, because you have a sinful nature. But there's a spirit inside of you that he puts inside of you to give you new life. And so your life should start looking more and more and more like Jesus. I love being in connect groups with new believers because it gets nasty and they're dirty. <coughs> give me a second. <coughs> that happened a long time. I'm not crying. <coughs> I don't cry. Just kidding. Not Lord at all. There's no gray area, right? Lust, anger. It's not where you express that at, your rebellion against God. It's not to be clear on. Paul lists homosexuality as one of the many examples of desires in the center where only he belongs, right? A rebellion that, that we've all participated in from all of us in this room. This morning, if you've been hiding behind, if you've been hiding in the shadows, dealing with homosexuality, same-sex attraction, I don't care if you're married, God loves you. I love you. We love you. This church is a place that wants to come alongside of you and walk through that with you. Parents, if you're dealing with that in your home with your children, we love you. God loves you. We want to walk with you. We don't, want to feel like, we don't want you to feel like you're alone or set up separated from the flock because you're not. Remember, homosexuality is not the only example that Paul uses here. Look at verse 28, and we'll see him mention some other things. Verse 28. And because they, we, because we did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind <clears throat> so that they didn't do what is not right. So remember, it's not they, it's we. And he clarifies this in chapter two. He says, apart from Christ, we are hopeless. Paul says, I'm the worst of sinners. You look at Paul's life, you think Paul's the worst of sinners? You're like, well, where's my hope? Because Paul is pretty awesome. I know my life. Paul is putting him on the same level as all of us because he was a man. He knew his struggle. He knew his sin. He knew what it was before God. Let's keep reading verse 29. 
They're all filled with unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. What you're seeing here is disorder throughout their entire lives. Social disorder, economic disorder, relational disorder, all those disorders, right? If you can look at this list, I think most of us in this room can look at this list and be like, I check off about half of these, right? If we're real with ourselves, we can say that probably. I know I do. I was like, man, if these people only knew who's preaching to them right now, they would uh, probably leave. The bottom line, Paul isn't giving us an exhaustive list here. He's giving us a sample. Right? He's saying our idolatry, the elevation of our desires over God's will, has affected every part of our life. He's showing us that sin has touched every part of your life. Anybody ever had an argument with their spouse before? Y'all, y'all handle that okay? I see my wife, Sam. She's the only one who raised her hand. <laughs> Next week we'll have a guest speaker. Um, so... He's showing us that sin has touched every part of our life. The pride that you feel in those arguments, the pride that you feel in in the moments of accomplishment or trying to raise your kids or the desperation, out of desperation you may yell at a kid or or, or come unglued at work. There's sin has touched every part of our life, right? But the central sin is the same. We've rejected God's rule and and substituted our own in our own lives. Last verse, verse 32. Although they know God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to what? Die. They not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Bottom line, in our sin, we know God disapproves. Have you ever done something wrong? And you're like, oh, I didn't know that was wrong. No, you go to any tribe in an unreached country and you kill somebody, guess what's gonna happen to you? You're going to get killed because they know that was wrong and deserves repercussions. God has put eternity in our hearts. There's a conscience that lives inside of you. Holy Spirit is guiding you through that. But verse 32 here is pointing to an arrogance in our sin. An arrogance. Sinning knowing that it's sin. This iniquity, right? You're you're sinning in, in full knowledge that it's against God. There's forgiveness. There's grace. But there has to be some submission to the Lord. And I'm not sure that there's a better descriptive passage of Scripture for our current cultural climate than what we've read today. Right? We live in a culture that looks God straight in the face and says what? We don't want you. Get out of our schools. Get out of our homes. Get out of our government. Get out of all the things that that we should value you in. I see in verse 32 playing out all around me like people are terrified in the church to take a stand because they feel like I'm called to love. Don't you think it's loving to share this message with people so they can understand why they need the gospel? The enemy has tempted us into thinking this is judgment when it's really love. We're scared of losing status. We're scared of being fearful of people's opinions about who we are. In our culture now, we're scared of being canceled. I was scared of being fired after preaching this sermon, but you know what? I care way more about this word and way more about God than I care about your opinion of my sermon. Sorry, but I love love you so much. Listen, we've accepted the evil notion that God's order, please hear this, God's order for sexuality, gender, marriage is fluid. Or, Or hot topics like abortion. We've changed these issues from sin issues to political and social issues. I don't know if we've changed that, but maybe our enemy has tempted the world to change that and the church has come alongside and just agreed because we don't wanna rock the boat. I'll tell you one thing that Jesus and Paul both did really well is rock the boat. I'm not telling you to go rock the boat or anything weird. I'm just just saying stand up for what's true. I'm gonna hit a hot topic because this verse requires it. We live in a culture that celebrates abortion as healthcare. This issue is not political. You wanna talk about that later? I'll talk till tonight if you want to. 
2019, the New York State Senate cheered as they passed a bill making abortions legal up to birth. They cheered. Reminds me of, they even applaud others who practice with them. Let me just say this to you. If you've been down that road of abortion, if you've been down that road of homosexuality, if you've been down that road of being proud, arrogant, a God-hater, a slanderer, being untrustworthy, if you've been down this road before, God offers you forgiveness. God offers you grace. He offers you healing, man. Don't be so prideful this morning to hold on to that as something you have to hide or hold on to something that, that, that is right and, and God is wrong because that's what we just read about, man. But hear this, in Romans 1, we don't look at any of these things. We don't look at people who are passing abortion laws or living a life of homosexuality or uh, confused by their gender. We don't look at those people and say, hey, what's wrong with you? We don't get to do that because, guys, we are in the same boat as they are. We should say, what's wrong with us? What's caused this sin in me? Like, we've voluntarily participated in the same idolatry that led to that. And I am experiencing the same kinds of corruption in my own heart. Listen, the wickedness is not abortion. The wickedness is not slavery from our past. The wickedness is not homosexuality or being confused about a gender. It's replacing God with ourself. And I want to tell you, you can't fathom how evil that is on a cosmic level. And to say, I, I will determine what is good, not God. I will be in charge, not God. I get the glory, not God. And I want to say this. Every person in this room is guilty of that. Every single one of us. Some of us may have submitted their lives to Christ. Some of us, some of us may have yet to do so. I pray the day is the day of salvation for you. Because what's the verdict without Christ? Romans 1.18 says it. They are without excuse. They're without excuse because they know. Well, guess what? After today, you know, you know the missing piece, the gospel. You know about God, now you know the gospel. This is the good part. We're gonna talk about more good parts in a few weeks, so keep coming, right? This, this is not a depressing church every week. 2 Corinthians 5. 21. It says, but God made the one who did not know sin to be sin, to become sin for us so that in Christ, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So the, this section of Romans is hard and it shows us why we need the gospel and it should leave us praising the name of Jesus for the gospel, receiving the gospel. And let me tell you, receiving the gospel and being saved, it always brings with it the seeing of the fullness of our sin. It's evilness and it's depravity because until we understand sin, we can never fully appreciate the gospel and what God's done. And I wanna, I wanna hammer this home as we close. Here's what's amazing after you read these verses. Read these verses and then remember what Jesus has done. All of God's judgment for those sins we just talked about, all the judgment was placed on his son. All the offenses towards God, I want to be God, I'm turning away from you, I'm, leaving, I'm giving my life over to this or this or this, is put on the back of Jesus for our salvation. And all that's required for you to receive that salvation, that righteousness of God, is repentance and faith. I'm turning from my sin, I'm turning towards Christ, I'm putting my faith in what he's done. And I'm sorry if this has made you uncomfortable but this is the truth according to scripture of what it takes to be saved. So this morning, if we sit here, as we sit here, what are the things that you've been worshiping instead of God? What are, you, what are the things that you're sitting in? What are the places that you're sitting in that only God deserves to sit? There are places of idolatry in all of our hearts. This morning, let's repent of that. If you just bow your head for a moment, I just wanna pray for you. I just want to say this morning, I know it's a hard topic, but I, I hope that you heard with clarity what it means to need the gospel and why we need the gospel. I pray this morning that you would feel the weight of sin, but the only reason I pray that is because you would see your need for the gospel. So this morning, if you've never heard this before, if you've never heard it put this way before, you're like, hey, Michael, I, 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 I don't know if I'm saved. I don't, I don't know if I've put my faith and trust in Christ. I'm not sure if I've repented of my sins. 
If you know this morning, you want to put your faith in Christ, you want to return from your sin, not perfectly, but just start that process. Take that step. Because all it takes is one step. And you have a church family around you that wants to take the next step with you. So this morning, if you know, listen, that's my next step is to be saved. I've never given my life to Christ so that he can take away the penalty and the wrath that is coming upon me in my sin. If that's you this morning, you're saying, hey, I, I need that righteousness of God. I need Jesus to take my sin so that I, it can be exchanged for God's righteousness. Is that you this morning? If that's you, I just want you to do something really brave right now, really bold, because Jesus did something really bold as he went to the cross for your sins. If that's you this morning, with every head bowed, every eye closed, just me and you in this room, would you just raise your hand and say, Michael, that's me this morning. I need that righteousness. I need to be saved this morning. Amen. Keep your hands up just for a second. I want to pray with you if that's okay. I want to pray with you if that's okay. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I just want to give you an opportunity, another opportunity. This morning, if you know that without Christ, there's, there's a lot of trouble coming. If that's you this morning, you know today is the day I need to be saved. Just lift your hand for me. I want to pray with you for you. All right. Praise God. I want to pray for us, God. We love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for what you've done through the cross, for the gospel. We pray that you would just work in us and through us continuously as a church. God, we thank you for the bad news, God, because until we understand the bad news, we can't fully understand the good news, Lord. I pray for people's hearts as they leave here. God, I pray that you would protect them against the enemy as he tries to lie or try to steal from their hearts, God, the truths that you've spoken through your word. God, I pray that you would protect their hearts, guard their hearts. God, continue to convict us, continue to guide us and lead us, continue to move us into action as we walk into a relationship with you closer and closer as we go, Father. We just praise you, we worship you, you are so good to us in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Guys, thank you guys for being here. Can we just celebrate three people who raised their hand to receive Christ this morning? It's amazing. It's amazing. Amen. Amen. You guys have a great week. We'll see you next week, same time, same place. Have a great week.